Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. And now, let's talk about protecting your assets. Protecting your assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano Cedroni, and with me, Brian the Angry Man Clayman. We are on to episode three today, and we're going to be talking about partnerships, also known as you're not in it alone. Oh, sorry, it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. Um, and so we're going to talk about the importance and value of working with others to make sure that your uh, property, your operations are kept secure in today's dynamic and rapidly changing world of risk. But Excuse before me. that, I'm gonna go back. To... I have up? a question. It's What's not that? about you or it's partnerships. What are we talking about? <laughs> it ain't about you either. It's not about me. Okay, that's what you're saying. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> but in this case, I'm gonna turn it over to you for some initial words. Uh, say hello to the fans, the millions and millions of listeners. Hello, fans. It's uh, winters in Canada. I think last time we did the uh, podcast, I talked about how nice the weather was, going out in shorts, having the motorcycle out, going for rides. What a difference a couple of days make. I feel like yeah. we're in Antarctica. It is just yeah. friggin' cold out there. Uh, walking the dogs, the, they're, you know, they're not getting their one-hour walk, but I am away from the house for an hour, so my wife thinks we're walking. I take the car keys and put the dogs in the car and we just sit, listen to music in the heat. Do not like the winter. <laughs> yeah, no Don't kidding. tell my wife. And the big storm coming this uh, uh, tonight, supposedly, right? Probably going to hit you more than it hits well, me. <laughs> Why is that? I pay my taxes. Because you're in the middle of nowhere. I'm in civilization. We got a warm vertex here. Or whatever. Well, there was quite, quite that dump the other day in Buffalo, like it was 300 feet or something in six minutes. It's amazing. It's yeah, it's amazing though the difference. It's just like an hour away, but the south side of the lake versus the north side of the lake. I think actually the weather was so bad and actually dangerous in Buffalo. I think that has a lot to do with Biden because I suspect if Trump was in power, we would not have seen this kind That's of a right. storm. It's That's certainly right. not this kind of a a lethargic response from a democratic left woke. <laughs> leaning government <laughs> trump would have just told the weather to just piss off and go somewhere else <laughs> and he would have had wonderful love letters with the letter with the weather all just right let's keep moving we want, to, we want to move on to our traditional segment now in the new season which is the good the bad and the ugly uh you want to start off this week or you want to, to come to me why don't we go with you oh. um be put light for a change it's the new and improved sensitive treatment. Not really, but... <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, listen, I'll go through the, the three uh, in a row for me. The good, I think, is that, uh, well, we don't have a nuclear winter yet. No one's pushed the button, despite all the stuff that's going on in Ukraine. So that's a good thing. Um, I think the bad is this whole FTX disaster in the cryptocurrency world. Um, you know, the little scumbag seems to have stolen a ton of the money before it all crashed and burned. Uh, but the interesting thing is now, and I don't know if you caught it today, Mr. Kleeman, but 
The interesting thing is that uh, not only is he being sued, but there's a lawsuit being filed against everyone who basically uh, helped them market the idea. So you've got Tom Brady and lots of other famous actors and athletes now who are being brought into the lawsuit for uh, for basically false advertising or whatever you want to call it. So I think that's going to be interesting. And if they're successful, what kind of precedence does that set going mm -hmm. forward? Or all these other products that you know maybe maybe they're not there might not even be sort of a malice involved but you know you honestly say aspirin's a great product and then all of a sudden they find aspirin's mm -hmm. got a, a problem and you get dragged into that i mean that that could really change the world of marketing the only defense i could think especially for the celebrity spokespersons is if they they're going to have to demonstrate that they did some sort of due diligence other than the fact to, that the due diligence included that the check that they were going to receive for a million bucks is not going to bounce. I think it has to be a little bit more than that. And yeah. I think it might be a good thing because if you look at, you know, especially in the uh, States with uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, alternate reality uh, hosts like uh, Alex Jones and all these guys, you know, and especially Alex Jones, he has sort of a, a e-commerce business that he yeah. promotes on the side and apparently that's where he makes his money and all these claims that if you take this potion or you take this pill you'll live forever or you'll survive a nuclear war and people believe him because he's a personality yeah. i think maybe it will be good if it sets some precedent yeah. we'll he's, see. he's uh he's definitely one of the, the guys on the fringes but when you talk about people like, like kevin o'leary's named in this as well right he's a well-known businessman yeah so yeah. you know these are people who do do their due diligence. They do take extra. Right. You would think they know the business, um, and they were you know hoodwinked into it. Actually, the the guy who and I can't remember. I was reading it this morning, but the person I think it's an auditor that was looking into the papers mm -hmm. um, for the U.S. and he's had a history of like he investigated um, not Nortel but uh, WorldCom when they mm -hmm. collapsed, and he said he's never seen such a complete failure of checks and balances in a financial paper uh, like documentation as he's seen with uh, with FTX. So. That's my bad. And then the idea, I think, was watching Donald Trump announce the worst kept secret in the world and that he uh, actually finally announced that he's running for uh, the presidency in 2024. Everyone knew he was going to announce it at some point. But I thought, my God, it was just an ugly, ugly all around event. He looked terrible. He sounded terrible. Um, and I don't think he's got the, uh, the traction he had four years ago. He actually did look terrible. I remember watching that, telling my wife, even his breathing. Yeah. It looked like he was going to have a heart attack, like he was gasping for breath. There wasn't that energy that we yeah. saw the first time around. But yeah, I would agree. So the Donald Trump thing, is that the ugly? How do you that is, The way it happened was ugly. It was, I, I almost felt sorry for the guy because it's sort of like a, a clamoring for attention. You know, that little kid hugging at your shirt saying, I'm still here, guys. I'm still here. I guess, yeah, yeah, it's pretty pathetic. Anyway, over to you. Okay, so the good, bad, the ugly, from my perspective. The good is the work the RCMP did last week with that Chinese espionage case out of Hydro-Quebec. That's it. Today, the RCMP is announcing the arrest of Yushang Wang, age 35, from Kanziak. Mr. Wang was charged with espionage for obtaining trade secrets in the course of his duties with Hydro-Quebec. This is the first time this charge has been laid in Canada. It is alleged that he obtained this information to benefit the People's Republic of China to the detriment of Canada's economic interests. That's a great example, I believe. I don't know the facts yet, 
but typically on these type of in, uh, cases, knowledgeable insider type cases, it's indicative to me that the corporate security people in Hydro-Quebec, the compliance people in Hydro-Quebec had a good view of what was happening internally, saw some red flags that concerned them, and notified the police, and the police, the RCMP, did a wonderful job. So that's the good. That's where, a great example where security and partnerships actually work well. The uh, ugly is the litigation that's following now with Alex Baldwin with the shooting on that film set last year. And everyone is getting dragged into that. It's a ugly situation where it shows that when you don't have proper controls, uh, health and safety uh, uh, oversight and compliance, when things go wrong, everyone gets thrown into the sewer. I never, I, I don't understand why on a film set you need live ammunition. I just don't get it. I don't, I don't either. Like, I mean, I have fired live rounds. I've fired uh, uh, blanks, if you will, type thing. And in terms of the effect, the you, you know, it's almost the same. So I don't get it. And especially my understanding with that one, and that's going to be really ugly. The armorer was just a young person that didn't have yes. a lot of experience. And a lot of the uh, Hollywood armors like has 20, 30, 40 years of experience and they're constant experts. This person really wasn't that. So that's going to be ugly. Yeah. And the bad is the World Cup situation with Budweiser. My understanding is they have, I think, paid almost $150 million in sponsorship. And again, I don't know all the facts, but I think that's a classic example of why it's important to do your due diligence. And I, I'm just thinking out loud that if I was a brewery, a alcohol company, one of the largest in the world, if I'd be putting $150 million of advertising into an event like the World Cup, which is good, in an Islamic country, like, what do you think? Is there a possibility there could be a problem? I think that's, that's a bad miss on someone's part. Well, I think, as, as we were talking before we went live here, um, you don't understand the world of soccer as I do, and, and but you do know that FIFA is probably the most corrupt organization out there the IOC probably gives them a run for their money um, but historically those sponsors get exclusive rights to the games and that's the big payoff now for whatever reason I guess FIFA and uh, and Budweiser thought that you know the the Middle East was going to cater to them sort of like and they and to, to be honest like in Brazil they will they have such power that they can come into a country and tell you when you're going to sell those alcohol. Like when they'll change the time for alcohol sales. Mm -hmm. They'll change where you can do it, right? The areas that you can sell. So that's the kind of leverage that they've had historically. So I think this has been a real, in my opinion, a pleasant ass kicking from people who have a lot more money than they, they, they don't need people yeah. there. And they're pulling, you know, to your point, this is our religion. You knew coming in here, this is what we're going to do. So too bad. And that's my point. That sort of goes to the, the greed factor type thing. You know, I understand why Budweiser wants to be there, but I don't think anyone could be surprised that it's unfolding at the last minute. It's not a surprise to me. And, you know, you're right. You, you, you know, I'm not a big soccer guy like you, <laughs> sir. I, I bow to you. However, you know, take soccer out of it. You put $150 million and you're an alcohol company and you want to get exposure and you're going to a country where uh, alcohol is taboo, yeah. it's not a big surprise that you may have challenges. And I'm just surprised that a company like Budweiser didn't really have a contingency, didn't see this as a possibility. Anyways, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds.
Yeah, the, the only thing I would add to that is that, uh, you know, alcohol, quite frankly, who cares? I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm drinking now, but I don't need to drink to watch a game. I'm not it's sure about you don't need to drink because we just traveled not, together. It's not a game changer for me, but I think it could get even uglier because when you talk about, uh, you know, um, their beliefs and their enforcement of, uh, you know, pro uh, against gays in particular, um, they've made it clear that if you're caught having sex with anyone but your spouse, that you could face significant fines or even imprisonment. Um, so that to me is even more concerning. Like if they start taking that type of action, boy, oh boy, is it going to get, it's going to be an ugly, a truly ugly world come. Well, you know, on the Budweiser theme, years ago, I worked for a large American financial services company, one of the largest in the world, and they had a lot of international operations. And one of the things the global security team would do, and I was part of that team, is Whenever we had a special event or any business dealings anywhere in the world, we would do the pre-work to look at where are we going, what are the cultural sensitivities, and then we compare that in, uh, with looking what are we planning to do and what are the, the problematic points that are going to occur. I would like to think, and I'm pretty certain Budweiser did that, would have understood that, should have seen this coming. But something went wrong, and it's going to be interesting to see. And your point about the... Uh, uh, sex or relationships yeah. you know it will take in unless it's your spouse yeah. and only if your spouse is the opposite sex because yeah. if your spouse is the same sex that's going to be also a problem. problem yeah 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 and it's it's a direct shot at you know the prostitution that goes around with these types yeah. of tournaments and all those all those lovely things right drugs and things that people may think doesn't well, happen well and yeah and i just want to say this uh, it's an international event okay and you've got to be respectful of people's cultures but we also have to realize it's an international event and the World Cup is not just about that culture. Yeah. And if the organizing committee uh, uh, wasn't comfortable that there would have been tolerance and acceptance of everyone's culture, their culture, the Western culture, they should not have been selected. So that segues nicely because it's not just about them and it's not just about you. It's about partnerships and working with others to make everything a success. So we are going to be talking about partnerships today. We have talked about it in the past, but today we're going to do a refresh on that um, because, uh, well, because Brian wanted to quite frankly. So <laughs> and I'm the sponsor, so there you go. <laughs> so uh, see, I, so I don't mess up like Budweiser. I put my money where I have control. <laughs> yeah, and I can't push anything. I got no money to push back anyway. So. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. What um, what is the like? What is the partnership for you, Brian? What why is it so important to to create them and make sure that the, your security program considers establishing those partnerships? With well, you know, you sort of said it at the segue. It's not about you. Like you can't do it alone. And partnerships create what I call a force multiplier effect. Two people are stronger than one person, and three people are stronger than two people, and so on and so on. And that's why you do partnerships. When I talk about partnerships, so. I'm talking about strategic partnerships. So when it comes to the security world, uh, be it security guards, corporate security, financial services security, it's really who's in it together, okay? Who has an interest? So when I was in the financial services world, uh, we were doing a lot you of- You seriously checking your phone on air? Well, I, I'm expecting a call from uh, President <laughs> Biden wanted to talk about a partnership we're trying to work out. And, uh, it could have been important. It could have been my wife saying, bring home a bread, okay? So, yes, that would be important. 
So, so uh, if we use the example of the financial services industry, okay, and white collar crime, there's only so much the bank investigators or the credit card investigators can do. They rely on the enforcement people, which is law enforcement, in order to do their job properly. Law enforcement also rely on the front line, the eyes and ears. Great example of partnership, we talked about that in the Good, Bad, Ugly, ugly segment when I talked about good, is the work the RCMP did last week in Hydro-Quebec, in Quebec with uh, that uh, espionage case. Again, I don't know the facts yet, but based on my previous lives and experiences, I am certain there was pre-established partnerships between the security folks and compliance folks at Hydro, the government of Quebec and the RCMP uh, before this happened so that when it did happen, they were able to move in and work collaboratively, creating a forced multiplier effect. And I'm gonna go into that in a second. But the other thing is, if you recall, you and I and others during the G20 in downtown Toronto in the financial district, I could not keep everyone safe by myself, nor could you. But if I could work with you in Oxford and Cadillac Fairview and all the other stakeholders, the key real estate managers down there, in concert with CSIS and the RCMP and the Toronto Police, and if we all worked together and we all had something to contribute, it would make the task a lot simpler. So that's why partnerships are important. You can't do it alone, and it creates that force multiplier effect. Uh, well, I think I'll make two comments. First of all, I don't think a lot of security practitioners are really aware of the tools that are out there. Um, and I've, I, I mean, I continue to deal with clients uh, in my real, like in my full-time job, and uh, yeah. and I can tell you that there's still People out there, and I'm not just saying security managers, but even clients, you know, like property managers and things like that, who have no clue or no visibility to what is available to them because they're so focused on their four corners that that's that's the extent of their outreach, right? So when I go in there and I say, do you talk to your neighbor across the street? Do you know who the security program is? Do they have a security program at the building across the street? Oftentimes, they don't have a clue, you know, and then take it to the next level and I say, well, have you reached out? the local police authority. They have dedicated officers to engage with businesses to help you share information, intel, bring up resources in if they've done, you know, with proper time and planning, the police will, you know, do what they can to support you. And we've done those in the past, exercises and things like that, right? Yeah. That's one. And then the other thing is, well, you got me off. So I thought you were gonna cut me off. <laughs> it was not to, but I promise, so I'll wait. <laughs> so First one was the tools, they don't know there's there. Uh, and then, so the other, the second point I wanted to make was some people, and, and I think we know we both experienced these people, because you used to be one of them, to be honest, some people have it in their head that we can't share the information. we got to keep it, you know, nice and tight, the need-to-know basis, um, you know, just for us, select people. There's certain industries that I think you're familiar with that uh, when I say, you know, they're not, they're not very, uh, uh, what's the word? forward coming with information, they looked down upon us and you you remember the property owners, right? Um, we were always looked down upon as like second tier and you don't really have the expertise. And meanwhile, CSIS is the one saying, well, actually those guys are the ones who own the building that's yeah. bringing these meetings. So that I think is another challenge, not knowing that the tools are there and then not having the right people in the positions to, to appreciate the reality that you need to be connected, you need to share information with the right stakeholders. 
Well, yeah, and I think you disparaged, I feel a bit like Donald Trump here. You disparaged my <laughs> reputation with the inference that I would, or the insinuation that I was one of those. I, I would, what I was was that you got to keep it close to your heart, close to your chest. You don't disclose widely. What you said was an oxymoron. You said that you don't share, and then you said need to know. That's exactly the point. You share prescriptively with the yes. need to know. And that's the important thing with partnerships is establishing the parameters of what gets shared and who needs to know it and who doesn't need to know it. Uh, another example, uh, based on what you were saying, you know, I talked about Hydro-Quebec and I talked about what I perceive the relationship with their investigators, compliance people, law enforcement, and CSIS. And that's sort of at one tier of the security spectrum. Some Many of our listeners are also on that other tier, that physical security tier, where with security guards. And a case in point is trespass to property. And it amazes me how many times people say, yeah, you know, people are trespassing all the time. There's nothing we could do about it. And the police won't do anything about it. It's just a $58 ticket. And I'm really proud of the work that I did with you and other senior security people down the financial district that with the high rollers, with the people that were trespassing on a regular basis, we sat down with their strategic partners of 52 division. Uh -huh. We said, here's a problem. And this is why it's a problem for us. And we would put it out on the table. And this is why it's a problem for you because you got to keep sending officers to do the same thing and nothing is happening. So through the partnerships, we got in front of the Crown Attorney and we were able to start getting jail time for these chronic offenders of TPA. So it was no longer just a $58 ticket. They're going to wait for three months, four months. One guy got six months in jail because he his uh, trespass activity was so egregious and it was documented. We were able to do something about it. Had those partnerships not been in place, it would have been a revolving door and nothing would have happened. That's a real simple example of the effectiveness of partnerships. This is the new and improved, Mr. Clayman. You're short and concise. I like it. It's, I don't know, maybe it's the alcohol that's just affecting me. It's good no. to see. <laughs> No, it's just that there's so much abuse I can take. You know, you're 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 like lucky Luciano, the happy-go-lucky guy on air, but I have to deal with you off air, and it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different persona. And quite honestly, I'm grayer now since we started this. And all right, listen. Okay, let's move on. Keep it going. Um, I think the next part is. Uh, talking about how we make sure that they, su they succeed at their successful programs. And I know that, uh, you know, you're a big believer in establishing those relationships early, not when it's D-Day and, uh, you know, the, the, the barbarians are at the gate, so to speak. Um, and I would agree with that. I don't think there's anybody that should disagree with you, but share with us some of your, um, some of your experiences in making sure that those, that those partnerships have been successful and some of the, and some of the challenges that, uh, that, that you need to overcome. Well, for starters, I've been very fortunate uh, to be involved in some very, very successful partnerships, some that have been acknowledged as some of the best ones nationally and potentially even internationally, and not just me, but with a lot of colleagues such as yourself and David Salston and a whole bunch of other people, okay? So I'll just start with that. But, you know, wh why do some partnerships work and many partnerships don't work? Well, I'll tell you why, that it's like, a forced an arranged marriage versus a marriage that uh, blossoms normally. Partnerships can't be mandated. It can't be the senior vice president of security for the organization and the chief of police in Toronto telling each of their uh, subordinates, 
you got to play together and you got to work together. That's often what the case is. You know, the president of an organization or the Canadian Bank Association, and maybe the uh, the premier or, or some cabinet minister looking at uh, uh, criminal activity happening, saying we've got to work together. You do need that corporate sponsorship. That's true. But before you sit down and become partners and work on committees and joint uh, programs, it starts very simply. It starts, and I have a good graphic, which if we could find it, we'll put it up in a second. It's really a group of guys. What is the first step? Is a group of guys sitting around a table at an Irish pub drinking Guinness. That's the essential element of a partnership. And I actually made that, uh, made that statement at a presentation I made several years ago in Ottawa at the Canadian Police College. And basically, what the point I was trying to make is that you got to start off as friends because we talked about the exchange of information and need to know. People don't want to share with people they don't trust. And people typically don't trust people that they don't like. So I often say the first essential element is friends. You got to get to know these people. You got to get together, you know, professionally, socially. Uh, you don't have to go bowling with them. I'm not saying that, but you got to get to know them because our friend Bill Needles, retired Superintendent Needles says, uh, and he stole that from me, I'm sure, that the time to exchange the business card is not during the emergency. It's got to be weeks and months and years before when you have a chance to build that trust and that relationship. To me, that is the key. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree. You don't want to be waiting for the last minute. Um, the only thing I, I would add for, for the listeners, uh, certainly like the, the business owners who don't have a lot of exposure to police, police in particular, is that um, there, there always seems to be a hesitancy to reach out to some of these groups, especially the police, because they've got this perception of, you know, they're too busy or they don't care. Um, and I would encourage them to reach out if that's what their if that's their hesitancy. I think it's misplaced because you know yeah we're both ex-coppers, um, but every time I've reached out to the police services or when I've asked others to do the same for support and build that relationship. To your point, ask them out for a coffee, bring them over to the property, do a tour, introduce them to your team. They're often and most likely, you know, very appreciative of the opportunity, first of all, to come to the buildings and see what, what they ultimately are responsible for if something goes wrong. So it's nice to, to be able to do that. And they are desperate for private sector partners, right? Oftentimes, we don't reach out because we're intimidated, whatever the reason is. So I would encourage our listeners who are business owners thinking about it, reach out to your local police representative. They have the resources there. Yeah, they're not, they may not be there 24-7. They've got other things to do. But the day comes when you need them to have that name already in your Rolodex as you to, to sort of age ourselves um, is critical because you make that phone call and they say, yeah, you know what? I know Joe over at property ABC. He's not going to call me because it's, you know, some chicken shit thing. It's probably something serious. We've had these discussions. I know where his head's at. So I better respond to that. And, I'm and, and they will organize the resources to get you the help you need, or at least give you the advice of steering the right direction. Well, I agree. There is a second key element, though. You start off with friendships and mutual respect, but partnerships are not going to work unless there's something in it for both parties. Yep. Because otherwise, it's not partnership, it's a charity. So both parties have to get something fundamentally out of the relationship. And what you were, you know, uh, the example, like when I was doing financial crime, financial services crime, what it was is, that what law, what law enforcement gave to us is they had powers of warrants, search warrants, they had arrest powers that we don't have. 
what was in it for them is we had expertise and access to stuff that they don't have. So any partnership, irrespective of what it is, okay, it's not going to work unless you can clearly, at least in your own mind, articulate this is what's in it for me, what's in it for the other partners. And if you can't articulate that equally, then maybe the ones that uh, there's nothing in it for you from them maybe shouldn't be there. And to bring it back to the disparaging remarks you said about me earlier that I don't want to share, that was predicated on the fact that those people that you were trying to bring in didn't have anything in it for me. And if you take care of all the individual needs of the team, of the partners, that's the, that's the force multiplier effect. So your apology, whenever you're comfortable, will be accepted. Up till well I'm going to so I'm going to take that cue to move into our final sector section, cognizant of the time, to talk about some of the successful partnerships that we've both been a part of, um, and in particular the one I'm referencing and I'm and I'm sure you're referencing is the creation of Pathcom uh, in the downtown financial district, uh, which to those who aren't familiar with Pathcom, it is a privately funded, fully encrypted emergency communication channel that links oh, about 35 properties in the downtown core, mostly 52 division. And that for those who aren't familiar with 52 division, it's basically all the key properties um, or entertainment locations in Toronto, the Rogers Centre, the CN Tower, um, the Financial District, the Eaton Centre, all these key properties, pretty much all of them are on Pathcom. And when we were thinking of creating Pathcom, the argument was from my good friend, Mr. Clayman, that we should just restrict it to the four corners of the financial district. And I, through some leveraging and painful education, finally dragged them, to the, dragged them out of the gutter into the enlightened world of sharing with other people and bringing them into the circle of trust so that we, basically my argument was, if all you do, if, if your partnership is only four people at four corners, that's the only visibility you have. Um, let's talk to the people at the south end of the city. Let's talk to the people at the north end of the city. Because the further out we get intelligence, the more time we have to prepare. And that was your argument. You finally Liar. came over to the good side. You bought in. And that's my that's argument. Shame. Shame. <laughs> I bought in when you were able to demonstrate to me how it was beneficial to the four corners so th that's exactly my point though it's not just about being the biggest and the greatest but if each person is if it's not mutually beneficial to the partners it's not going to work and you did at the end because i forced you to do it because you needed me when you were able to demonstrate how it was beneficial to my corner of uh, King and Bay Street, then it made sense. But, you know, we did have discussions and TAPS, by the way, Toronto yep. Association of Police and Private Security is another one, which uh, uh, predates uh, PathCom. Yep. And there were a lot of discussions uh, at one point with uh, senior police leadership in Toronto about bringing in the whole city and different elements. And it was a security information sharing group with the police intelligence. Yep. And one of the, you know, I was against it and I was able to prevail and convince others that the bigger you get, the more difficult it is to share information because you lose that trusted partnership. The need to know becomes one more of just curiosity than operational need. So we were able to keep it scaled down. One thing I want to say about PathCom, which uh, you were the chairman and you were one of the founding members along with uh, uh, several others. Uh, 
it was not only an interoperable radio and communication network with the private sector, but it was one of the first of its kind, at least at the time in Canada, if not North America, where the radio system was integrated with Toronto 911, police, right. fire, and ambulance. And that's what made it unique. Other places and other cities had uh, security groups in the different venues able to talk to each other. But we realized in order to be have the force multiplier effect, and it saved our bacon during G20, yeah. we had to have emergency service tied in all three levels of emergency service, police, fire, EMS. And uh, that was a Herculean accomplishment that mm -hmm. we, we, we made, but it was because of the pre-established partnerships that started as friendships over beer and trust that followed that allowed us to do it. And quite honestly, the partners on the emergency services side did a lot of the heavy lifting because they believed in the vision and they were able to sell it internally that this is how it's gonna help us. And they were able to say us first, and also it's gonna help them. And we shamelessly did the same thing to our bosses. Yeah. This is how it's going to help the private sector. And by the way, emergency services. So that's a great example of. Yeah, uh, although I will say that, as you're aware, you know, it is, especially when it's a volunteer organization, which that was, none of us were getting paid to do it. We were doing it because we thought it was the right thing to do. Um, but even then, uh, as something as obvious as I think, and certainly you thought that uh, PAFCOM was or TAPS was. Um, you know, there's safe group, there's there's a bunch of uh, security groups that existed in the downtown core um, that were successful to various degrees. But one of the ongoing challenges was always, it was like herding cats. There was always, you know, the guys in the, on the fringes were basically along for the ride and they weren't really pulling their weight for you know, lack of a better word or term. Um, and that is always the challenge because if too many of those guys come on board to your point, it starts to devalue the vision and people start to look around, right? Like, why am I putting all this effort into a program when Joe and John ain't doing crap and they're getting all the benefits It starts to fall apart. And I think that that's actually happened with a lot of the organizations where they've just fallen off the radar because the leadership hasn't been there. It's, it's gone away and no one's filled the void. Well, you know, I call it succession planning and you're right. I think, you know, when we were on the scene, if you will, uh, I think we had some really effective uh, partnerships of people all over we're looking at, like, again, going back to PathCom for a second, uh, people in Calgary were so impressed. So we you were up down, and we made a presentation to the city of Calgary, police, fire and ambulance, the security community, and they now have a very yeah. vibrant PathCom uh, program. City of Montreal also yeah. had interest in, and that's what started with us in Toronto. So I think, though, a lot of the things uh, has sort of slipped back, as you sort of suggested. TAFS isn't what it was. TAFS doesn't exist anymore. TAFS, by the way, for people to understand, was a private sector initiative. Nick Migliori was one of the founders of it. He was a chair for many, many years, and um uh, TAFS was a uh, information sharing between law enforcement and the private security community in Toronto, and it was a uh, world-class program. In fact, years ago, it won the International Association Chiefs of Police Ed Shanahan, Ed Shanahan Award for perfection or excellence in private-public partnerships. And just to understand the importance of that award, this was privately funded, private sector run, 
the police were involved, but on the outside, it was really run by the private sector, funded by the private sector. The year after we won it, NYPD Shield, okay, mm -hmm. which yeah. was formed after 9-11, which was in uh, New York Police Department initiative with the police department and the private security community in New York to share information, just like Taft. So we won it, they won it, but they are funded by Department of Homeland Security to the tunes of tens of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So it shows you the power of what individuals that are passionate could do. Now, the longevity, okay, is the concern. And the reason I don't think these things have set, uh, uh, survived the test of time is because of either a lack of succession, effective succession planning, or the generation behind us having the same passion that we had. And, you know, it's regrettable. Another one that uh, we were part of was the Commercial Real Estate Financial District Security Group, which was for the first time, certainly in this city, you had all the major bank towers, okay, which is the heart of Canada's financial critical infrastructure, a targeted entity, the international terrorist community, Islamic terrorist community, wanted to take out Bay and King. It was the senior security leaders of the different real estate management companies coming together and saying, this isn't about competition and we're going to make more money than you. When it comes to security and protection of lives and assets, there are no competitors. You know, we built that. It was fantastic. Through that, we got all sorts of accolades and invites to different uh uh, CSIS and RCMP and FBI and, and, and police type thing. It was really great. But over time, these things, unless you keep putting your blood and sweat into them, they tend to uh, diminish. And again, I don't know the state of these things anymore. I suspect, though, I know TAPS doesn't exist, which is regrettable. And the others, I, I don't know how effective they are. Well, I know, I know Pathcom still still does their Wednesday radio checks and uh, they've tried to do some exercise. So it's still up functioning and, and operating. I've heard it, so I know it exists. Um, but as you said, longevity, and we are past our time. So past our prime, best before date. <laughs> let's move on to the closing stages. Uh, just to let everyone know that we are going to have our first guest of season three on our next uh, podcast. We, well, we, we expect to anyway, unless things change. But uh, Brian, a quick intro, just a heads up on who, who we're having. Yeah, many of you may know her, uh, Sergeant Wendy Drummond with Toronto Police Service. She has been a uh, longtime, very public face of the Toronto Police Service. She was for the longest time the uh, media spokesperson. And when something bad would happen in Toronto, she'd be the person in front of the cameras. Uh, she then spent time, and she was really good. And that's where we met Wendy. Uh, through the partnerships when we were downtown. And then she moved into recruiting and uh, bringing uh, new blood and talent into Toronto Police Service. And now she's in charge of the Toronto Police Auxiliary Program and also their crime prevention initiatives. And I think Wendy's going to talk to us about what's happening in the city, talking about the auto thefts, the uh, the uh, car uh, uh, carjackings that are occurring. And we're going to try, Luke and I, to spin it into the partnership between the police and security to deal with these things to enhance crime prevention and livability in the city. So we're quite excited to have uh, Wendy next week, uh, next uh, session. Yeah, so am I. Uh, and that'll be on December 15th, just before Christmas. This episode is going to be on December 1st, although we're taping it obviously well in advance of that. So we look forward to speaking with Wendy um, and uh, hopefully we can uh, take some lessons away from it. Um, and that uh, our listeners can uh, apply to their daily operations.
but until then, as always, uh, stay uh, safe. Uh, 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 what? What? I, you, you usually say closing remarks. I'll keep it short. I just want to say <laughs> to tie up the session about partnerships. Really, the sky is the limit, and I just encourage the listeners be them uh, security folks or non-security business leaders, look at where you have common interest, okay? Identify who are the stakeholders of the common interest within the private sector, outside into the public sector. And I encourage you, make a phone call, get together over a coffee, introduce yourself, start there. It's not difficult. Start there, meet regularly, share, uh, uh, share concerns, get to know each other, and see where it goes because far too often like luke said i see this in my practice all the time talk with clients they're frustrated about things but they never thought for a second that they could a go to their competitor or b to the public sector and talk about it and, and get to know who the people are i even ask you know who's the local police commander or your competitor who is your competitor you know uh, who's doing what you're doing in your they don't know take up uh, get off get off your chair pick up the phone, take out your expense account, buy a coffee, get to know these people, get to like them, get to trust them, and you'll be amazed at the things you can do. Anyway, with that, thanks for tying it up. It's a good summary. Um, a little lengthy. We are over time on this episode, but we will try and tighten it up uh, going forward. And uh, we look forward to speaking with Wendy in episode four. Um, and until then, stay safe, stay warm. The snowstorms are coming. So Stay inside. No need to be on the roads if you don't have to. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. There is no making you happy. I talk too fast. I talk too slow. <laughs> Everyone be safe. Stay warm. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.